As a business leader, you know attracting top talent is just the beginning. Real growth happens when you lead yourself and others well. Creating a company culture that attracts, nurtures, and retains the best of all things. We'll teach you how to make an impact through a holistic leadership approach. Reframing success in leadership. This is the Talent Magnet Institute podcast with your host, Mike Sipple Jr. We want to welcome you to the Talent Magnet Institute podcast. I'm joined in the studio by Candace McGraw, Chief Executive Officer of the Cincinnati Northern Kentucky International Airport, also known to you listeners around the world as CVG. Candace, thank you so much for joining us this morning. Oh, thanks for having me, Mike. Happy to be here. So, Candace, you and I have had one. I've had the pleasure of watching you. You know, we always tell leaders that all leaders, there's people watching you, how you lead, how you bring yourself to events, to the community, to your workplace, through your employees. And it has been a real pleasure watching you lead well. Your enthusiasm, your passion and commitment to your organization and the community that it serves, my hope is that some of our listeners today will gain some of that igniting of their own passions inside of them to lead as well as you have in our community. And I thank you for being that presence in our community. Well, that's very sweet of you. And that was very kind of you to say, but I can I say back at you? Because, you know, I know you're very involved in our community as well, and I appreciate that. Yeah. So, Candice, one of the things that I'd love to start with is the vast nature of the organization you lead. You know, I think so many of us go in and out of our airports, wherever that might be. I've had the pleasure to fly CVG all my life. And not until I really had the opportunity to see the map that actually sits in your offices to understand the vast nature of the organization you lead. And I think that might be helpful to kind of frame up our conversation today for our listeners. Yeah, sure. Happy to talk about it a little bit. In terms of geography, we have about 7,500 acres under the control of the airport, which is really like a small city. So within our 7,500 acres, we have about 14,000 people. People that are badged to work there every day. So within that 7,500 acres, we have four runway system and the associated taxiways. So all of that pavement needs to be maintained and kept operational. So huge infrastructure investment. We also have our own police department, fire department, EMS team, all of those safety components that a city would have. We have all the environmental issues a city would have in terms of collecting all the runoff and processing that. We have our own finance teams, our own HR teams, all the back office administrative support, et cetera. So it is like running a small city. Within direct control of the airport, I'm privileged to lead a team of about 480 employees. But as I said, there are 14,000 people working on our campus. Mm-hmm. So it's a diverse group of stakeholders from, you know, our airline partners to our federal partners with the FAA and TSA to the folks that handle your baggage. So a, a breadth of a variety of businesses mm-hmm. on our campus. And there's also organizations that call it co-locate or that buy acreage on your facility to have their own distribution centers and things of that nature, correct? Sure. So, yeah, I can talk about that a little bit. As a business entity, while we have this sort of strange quasi-public component, so we are a public entity that operates like a private business. So we have an annual operating budget of about $100 and $120 million. We do hundreds of millions of dollars a year in capital improvements, but that's all self-funded. We are self-funded. 
revenue generating. We're responsible for meeting our own payroll, like your own private business. Mm -hmm. So we have to be very strategic on how we control our costs, manage our business, generate revenue. Part of the way we are generating revenue and becoming more self-sustaining is through land development. But with that land development, we're only doing long-term leases because that's the asset that we control is the land. So um, all the buildings you're seeing going up around the airport, and we've developed hundreds of acres in the last few years alone, all of that is just generating rent back to the airport, generating jobs for our community and tax dollars back into our local systems. Mm, That's wonderful. And Candace, share with us a little bit about taking a, you know, I think of the Phoenix Rising brings me into the thought of our airport that today, I remember eight, nine years ago having a client tell me, I would prefer if it's at all possible when we bring an executive in to really think which airport we have them fly into. And that was a negative connotation towards CVG. Today, there's energy, there's vibrancy, there's art, there's the community that you get met with right when you walk off your flights. And it's actually fun to go through and to see what's happening throughout our community. And you've brought community in. But share with us a little bit about the Phoenix Rising, the experiences that you came into and how you've been able to get your organization, your team, and your own leadership to focus on the best future forward. Oh, no, that was a great description. So thank you. I love that whole visual of the Phoenix Rising. So as your listeners may know, years ago, and now I'm talking 10 plus years ago, so this was, you know, maybe not even in the conscience of some folks of your listeners, CVG was a fortress hub for one of the major carriers. That carrier merged with another, and they decided to downsize at CVG. At the time, it was Delta Airlines. They were by far the dominant carrier in CVG. CVG was a flow-through hub for them. So at the time, about 90 to 95% of our passengers were not from the Cincinnati, Northern Kentucky, Indiana area. They weren't from our region. They, you know, started their trip in New York, flew through the airport and ended up in L.A., They never came through. So it really didn't need to be a sense of place, a sense of community. Well, our business has come full circle. We are now about 90 to 95% all local passengers. So we now have more local passengers coming through our airport than we have in the 70-year history of the airport. So it's been a great transformational story in terms of going from a one-carrier-heavy airport and Delta Airlines was a great partner. They changed their business model. So we had to evolve ours. Mm -hmm. So now we have a variety of carriers, a variety of options. We have cargo business and we can talk about that. But it was very important for me and my team to relay the breadth and all the great attributes that this community has to offer as you come through the airport. Mm. So in 2012, we consolidated all of the carriers into the one main terminal complex we have now and underwent a significant renovation, trying to bring in a sense of what we were calling the design theme was River City Mosaic, right? A community rich in all sorts of ways, creating this tapestry, this mosaic of, you know, the great urban areas areas we have, the great neighborhoods, you know, the great horse country so near us as well, and trying to weave those elements in through the design. 
And one of the fun things that we do that I particularly enjoy, once a month we bring in local arts organizations, be it the Shakespeare Festival Mm -hmm. or a dance team or the Irish dancers, and they perform for our passengers. Again, bringing a sense of liveliness and energy into Mm -hmm. the terminal. And you hear that. I hear that in the community. Like, hey, the other day I was coming off the airplane and there was a performance going on. And it really does set a level of energy. And it also is brand authentic to who we are as a community. I think there's nothing that can replace authenticity, right? Because we're really proud of our airport, proud of our community. And we want to relay that to our Mm -hmm. local passengers. One of the things, being in a family business that I've seen and have experienced that typically family businesses or business owners go out of their way to fight. They're willing to do whatever it takes to lead well and to make this type of transformation. So many times in public entities, not that it can't be done, but it's just harder. It's just a different dynamic and it's a little less personal. One of the things that I have to say that I've admired about you and watching all the leaders that we get to work with around the country is that it really feels personal. And that's how it's perceived by me, that this is very personal to you to lead so well. And you view the role of your organization as a community asset and a partner, and you're doing everything you can to make sure that is so. And I just, again, I appreciate being able to see that from afar. That's how I frame it up in my mind that, wow, you and your team, I know it takes a team. And it takes a lot of people, but it also takes a great leader at the top who sets a vision, who cares about people, who's vulnerable, who's authentic, and who's willing to fight for what is right, right? No, thank you for saying that. It is hugely personal to me and my team. I moved here, it was nine years ago, not too long ago, and I fell in love with this community. I fell in love with the team I lead. They are really great good, committed, passionate people who want the best, not only for the airport, but understand its impact throughout the community. And it's a tremendous sense of responsibility to lead them well, because that's what they deserve. And that's what this community deserves. And so I love the business as if if it was my own personal business, because it is so impactful. And we talk a lot at the airport about the job that we do impacts everybody else's business throughout the community. And growing, particularly, say, the low-cost service for people who haven't been able to travel a lot previously. Now we see stories or hear about, you know, the grandparents that can go see their grandchildren Mm -hmm. often. Or you see, you know, the people coming into our community that haven't been here before. And it matters. And it creates just a better sense of community. Mm -hmm. And that is important to us. You know, I think a lot about, there was one of my predecessors was a fellow named Bob Holscher. And I had only met Bob in passing a few times at some industry conferences. But he sat in my seat. He was the leader of CVG for 34 years. Mm -hmm. And he built and oversaw a great team and a great infrastructure and a great sense of culture there and people come first and people matter. And so I think a lot about him and his legacy and I feel a sense of duty to carry that on. And so I think it was part of the DNA of the team at CVG when I arrived, Mm -hmm. and I'm hoping to perpetuate it for the next team, right? The next, you know, 30-something years that folks can continue that on as well. Yeah, absolutely. I'd love the uh, 
comment that you've made previously is that our job is bigger than our individual jobs. Oh, Back without to a your, doubt, right? your comment around your role, even our business. Our business, we are now doing more than 50% of our business outside the greater Cincinnati community. And whether it be video conferencing or flights, we can get in and out and reach customers more accessible, more cost affordable for our business to be able to expand and flourish in a global economy. Mm-hmm. And you know, so that it's even impacting our small consulting firm that's touching the world now. Yeah, no, um, that's great. So, yeah, I'll give a little plug, right? As we've been able to bring in more carriers and more diversity of options, right? So if you want the front of the plane high-end experience, you can fly out of CVG and do that. If you are more cost conscious and you're taking your family of five or six on a vacation and your budget is important to you, you can find low-cost fares. Right now, the average traveler is paying $240 less now than they were three years ago for a ticket. Mm-hmm. And that makes a difference. That's a lot of money in people's yeah, pockets It'll, and a lot of money to businesses of every size. I was going to say small and medium sized business, but it matters to our large companies mm-hmm. as well. Candice, when you came into the role nine years ago, did you know what you were walking into? No. So actually I moved here from Cleveland and I came as the chief administrative officer. So I came as sort of the number two. And I knew that, you know, Delta was in the middle of its downsizing, but I didn't really understand the breadth and depth of what that challenge would be. Mm-hmm. So then my immediate predecessor left in July of 2011, and I was fortunate enough to be offered the job. So we had to set about, you know, coming up with a plan, stopping the bleeding and figuring out how we could control our expenses while figuring out how to generate additional revenue. Again, just like a private business, mm-hmm. but still keeping that compassion. I think the human element is very important to me and doing right by the team I lead is sort of one of our key metrics. Mm, that's wonderful. So no, it didn't catch me by surprise. I just sort of underestimated what the challenge would be. So it's taken a lot of work, taking a lot of focus. But again, with a great team, we have a plan. We're working that plan. We planted a lot of seeds, you know, several years ago. And now we're seeing the benefit of, of staying focused and nurturing and, you know, keeping the soil fresh. And now we're reaping the harvest. With the compassion and human element, as you brought that lens into, I assume you had that lens prior to joining here, and it was just resonated with you that they had it too when you walked into this culture. What are some steps that you do or have have taken to make that a core value or to put that in front of the way your team operates? Sure. So let's maybe start from the beginning. It was really having authentic conversations with all of the employees there about the need for change and why we had to evolve and why we had to put certain practices in place and have a lot of training and discussion about change management. So we did that early on and we continue to do that. One of the things, this was sort of initiated by our team, and I thought it was a great idea, was also setting out what people's career paths could be at the airport. And so we formed what was called a training governance board, and it's made up of representatives from various disciplines around the airport and laying out career paths. If you started as a housekeeper and you wanted to go into a particular field or a particular area of the airport, how could you get there and what are the classes? And we do a lot of internal training for our people. We've also lifted the cap on our tuition reimbursement. We've done everything from GED readiness to working with the community colleges to offering on-campus programs where you can get your master's degrees. Mm -hmm. So really focus on people in terms of training and development. 
I think that's important. We've held training sessions on making sure everybody knows the mission of the airport for each of our employees, that they understand what their role is in the mission and how they can impact and help our business succeed. Mm-hmm. And I think having just good conversations with people of what's important to them and how, you know, where we should put our efforts and focus, mm-hmm. right? It's kind of the golden rule, and right. it's as simple as that. Right. Yeah, the people-centric focus we talk a lot about with the Talent Magnet Institute, that when individuals know that you care about them personally— and they know their work is meaningful, and they know their voice and feedback matters, and they know you want them to be as successful personally as you do professionally, lo and behold, they bring their best every day to the work they do because they then see themselves as a part of something who believes in them versus just showing up. Right. right. I, you know, I believe that wholeheartedly, right? I think it's so important. And I would say the vast majority, if not to a person, that's our team at CVG. Yeah, that's wonderful. That's what. And share with me, if you could, and our listeners, a little bit about why you feel called to serve. You're on many boards in our community and abroad and globally. Can you share with our listeners again? Think of a, if I'm a CEO sitting in a seat. And I'm running a business with five, six, hundred, or a thousand employees. And I just am so busy that I can't really get involved in my community. That might be a listener or three or 10 or a hundred listening to this week's episode. Why is it so important to you to be involved and to show up in the community? Well, I think twofold. One is to help drive my business. So I I would say to someone who is involved in business or somebody who is a leader in their company who's saying, oh, I don't have enough time to do this. One, you have to get out there and hear what people are saying about your business, figuring out how to connect, how to, it helps you grow your business. It helps you understand the community in which you are living. So I think there is a practical, you know, business driven element to it. Once you do that and you realize how you can connect and where you can be impactful, I've always believed personally, each have an obligation to make our little corner of our communities better. And then before you know it, if, when you're surrounded by people like that, then you can start knitting together ideas. And before you know it, you have a beautiful quilt of a good community. So I think, again, part of it's practical and part of it's just being altruistic and recognizing we do have a responsibility for our neighbors, our friends, and however we can best help each other. That's what we're each called to do. You reference, so, you know, we do that, I do that locally, right? And I'm really blessed to be able to serve on a number of organizations in town. Mm -hmm. But then I'll also have the privilege of serving as the chair of our industry trade association. So it's called Airport Council International, and we represent hundreds of airports in the U.S. and Canada. And then that's part of a broader global trade association called Airports Council International, and it's worldwide. Mm. So I happen to be the good fortune of serving as the chair for the North American region. And then I serve on the executive committee for the world board. So again, two purposes. One, it gets the CVG name out globally. You know, when I sit in these world board meetings and I have the gentleman who from Moscow airport to my left and the gentleman who runs the Oman airport to my right. Mm -hmm. 
and to be able to interact with them and talk this story about what our airport is and how we connect, very important. And then also I've gotten to, you know, meet fascinating people from all over the world and learn about different cultures. So it benefits me personally, as well as, you know, professionally and for our airport. Do you see aviation executives moving from country to country to move into key roles? What's the... Yeah, some do, right? Some do. It's fascinating because the U.S. has a particular model on how it operates its airports, which is different, say, than some of the European models, certainly different than the Middle Eastern models. And then we can talk about them, you know, how to best utilize all of these things, right, to move a global economy. And you do see some people move from particular regions of the world to others, particularly in those airports that are privatized, kind of non-U.S. airports. It's just really very fascinating business. Hmm, That's great. You mentioned uh, a few minutes ago about the obligation, the responsibility the care of knowing what your neighbor needs and who they are and how important it is to be involved to pull that out. We've covered that in many, many, many episodes with our guests. And it's amazing to me the impact when you think through some of the guests we've had on, the power of that executive who professes that knowing your neighbor is really important and caring for people is really important. And that's one of the aspects of Also helping, we talk a lot about the Talent Magnet Institute is here to help leaders succeed in relationships, work, community, and life, and personal life, not just work life. And it's where we're all going to talk about work, that we are whole people. And the more we can get to know the whole person, the more capable we all are of moving things forward faster and helping others achieve their personal goals and visions as well as their professional. With that being said, I know that one of the aspects that we've talked about over the years I'd love to highlight for our listeners is the impact you're having on women in leadership in your industry and how important that is to you and the steps that you and many other leaders have taken. Could you share a little bit about that work and the inspiration behind it and where it was when you started moving up and where it is now, both in the U.S. as well as the globe. Yeah, sure. Happy to. So I began my career as an airport lawyer, and that was sort of by happenstance in Cleveland. I worked for the city of Cleveland Law Department doing municipal law, and the airport in Cleveland is owned by the city. So they became one of my clients, and I grew to love that business more. And so that was Oh, I'm going to date myself, but that was starting in 1988, a long time ago. It was interesting to me that there was a woman running that airport. I assumed at the time, not knowing any better than that was, there were a lot of women running airports in the U.S. or around the world. The more I dug into it at the time, there were only two or three women running airports in the U.S., and that was Cleveland and a couple others. Over the course of years in the business, there have been a few more that have come along, but it's certainly not a preponderance of women. I would say right now there are probably about 15 of us running sort of mid to large size airports, and there's some women running smaller airports. And we have a pretty close sorority. We have a group that gets on a conference call every other month together and kind of shares 
stories, backgrounds, if we're looking for a particular project, et cetera. And then we go away together once a year and have a little retreat. So it's always very fun to spend time together. Mm -hmm. We always find time at conferences to kind of break away for a dinner or a drink. And we've gotten really so popular and so united. I think some of the fellows are a little jealous of our group. Mm -hmm. So it's fun. So in the U.S., we have now a sisterhood of women running airports in Canada of the airports up there. There are only two women in all of Canada running airports. And then you look globally and as I participate on our world board, and I can only speak sort of looking through the world board lens of say the 32, 35 members on the world board, the only women representation are women from North America. And it's of the seven delegates of North America to the world board. There are three women. It's myself, a woman from Halifax and the woman who runs the Los Angeles airports. Hmm. So there is a dearth of women worldwide. So our International Trade Association is undertaking a gender disparity study or a gender study really looking at how do we get more women? How do we get more people of color involved in the industry? And how do we grow that? It's always fascinating, Candace, when we hear a leader share that it was another leader they watched growing up in their career. So here you were moving in your career and saw a woman in Cleveland running and just- Right, exactly. Of and course, she, so that it breaks that just, we all need to know that as a leadership, it breaks that barrier. Exactly. Well, and at the time, so I didn't even know it was a barrier, yeah, right? Or right. it could be a potential barrier. And I've never viewed it as a barrier, but it was funny. She had taken the exact same, or I was following her exact same career path. She had started as the airport's mm. lawyer, same thing, moved up. And so we would see each other at some events and she recently retired over the last couple of years. And I made a point of telling her how important it was to me that she gave me that chance and Absolutely. kind of mentored me. And it, it was that we were able to share that for yeah. the breadth of her career, right? Yeah, that's wonderful. We also say with the Talent Magnet Institute that people who lead in the way of becoming a talent magnet, they also express appreciation, mm. right? They say thank you. They know that a leader didn't get to the top by themselves. And there's a lot of people along the way that help us. And therefore, it's our commitment and our requirement, our, you know, some could say your moral obligation to help others, right, to achieve their greatest success and where they want to go. So, you know, it's interesting you say that. So I'm at the back end of my career, right? I'm closer to retirement than I am to when I started. And so it weighs heavy on my mind about helping younger people, particularly at my airport, trying to find out where their passion is, how I can help them position their careers, how I can help them grow, how we can expose them to lots of things. Because I love my industry and it needs talented people. And mm -hmm. so if we can connect the talent and their passion and point them in the right direction. So that's becoming more and more I think of my time spent on thinking about being intentional on how I can help those people have a successful career in any way I can do that. Do you find that many airports around the world have a similar community interest? I mean, I know that airports are a part of a community, but the way that you lean in here, is that normal? Well, I can I maybe speak to some of my U.S. colleagues a little more. I think there are some really very good airport leaders who appreciate the need to be connected so much with the community and feel a sense of obligation mm -hmm. 
for the industry. One of the women who serves on the North American board with me is a woman named Shelly Cameron who runs the Philadelphia airport. And actually she and I have these conversations a lot where she feels the same obligation to our industry, to younger professionals, et cetera. The European model or the Middle Eastern model for airports is different in that they are purely private corporations. I do think those people care about the community and I think they're passionate about it. But, you know, they have to meet the bottom line, literally bottom line expectations of shareholders. So it might be a slightly different focus. But, you know, some of my colleagues in the U.S. are deeply rooted in their communities and do great things. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And is the portal in? Right. Right. When you mentioned earlier, you mentioned 90 to 95 percent are local passengers. Mm-hmm. Does that mean they're coming to stop here as the local destination Correct. or start right. here? Okay. Correct. Yeah. They either begin their trip here or end a trip here as opposed to connecting. So that's inclusive of visitors to our region, mm-hmm. um, maybe people who have come here for business. Right. So it's not necessarily just the people who reside here, but start or end a trip mm-hmm. here are the figures now as opposed to a connecting passenger. Mm-hmm. So, you know, when you think about kind of what the airport had to represent previously, these were people who never left the terminal building. Right. Well, now that we have more people coming to, you know, in and out of our front door, right, that's our opportunity to really shine to let them know what's going on around the yeah. community. What they're going to see as they enter in, we're either their first impression or their last impression. Mm. And we view it very much like people coming to our homes. So we talk a lot about, you know, when you invite a guest to your home, you make sure it is clean tidy. You offer them food and beverage, right? That they have a good experience. And that's what we want the airport to feel like when people are coming or going from the airport. Is there a customer experience team or is that across the entire organization or a little bit of both? Well, we do have a dedicated customer experience team. We emphasize that everybody's responsible for the customer experience, but we do have folks that are dedicated purely to customer experience Mm -hmm. that focus on this for us. So we do a couple things that I think are interesting. One, we participate in a benchmarking that our trade association does called Airport Service Quality. They bring in independent folks to conduct surveys to our passengers, and we do that four times a year. And we'll ask you on your trip through what you thought of these various criteria. There are 30 questions, and it benchmarks us against our peers throughout the U.S. and other worldwide airports. So we monitor that. We've also done something recently partnered with a local startup called Wiser, and they do some surveys for us as you get on our website. And we're really able to start now figuring out what are the needs, wants, and desires of our customers and really digging in and focusing on that and what their experiences were and in real time, right? Because the ASQ data lags by a few months, but this is real time so we can get in there and address concerns. And I'll tell you, Twitter has been a great equalizer too, because you get immediate feedback, good or bad on an experience somebody has had. And Candice, when you look at yourself as an executive, it sounds like you have this cohort inside the industry. How else do you invest in yourself? What are you doing to stay sharp? A lot just, of Chardonnay. No, oh, <laughs> <there you go. laughs> Outside of Chardonnay, what, yeah. do you, <laughs> what do you do to really invest in your leadership and uh And what does that look like in your own professional life? Yeah, so interesting. So when I first took over as CEO, I realized I had had exposure to the international aviation experience, but I didn't feel I had a deep enough experience. So I went forward and I got the our industry certification in it, right? Mm -hmm. So even though I had the top job, I needed to learn more. And so where was that resource? And it was 
a program that you could take up to three years to complete. I thought, I don't have three years to do this. And I dove in and did it within a year, right, to get our international aviation professional certification. So I am a firm believer in education. And so I think those kinds of things are very important to continue to pursue in whatever field you're in, right? Learn your craft. There's no substitute for that. That's wonderful. Excellent. As it relates to overcoming obstacles and the the temptation of moving off course, Mm. can you talk a little bit about that of overcoming obstacles and all of the barriers as an executive that we have to fight to be confined within or to stay focused to? Um, Right. So I think focus is critical. Now, I'm not talking about being a lemming and going off a cliff, right? You have to continue to look around and assess your environment and scan all the time to see if you need to course correct. But if you have a good focus, a good roadmap, it is critical to stay on that roadmap to meet your destination and not to be swayed off course. A few years ago, there was some discord amongst our board members and amongst me and what was the direction of the airport. And some of my team rallied and they said, what can we do to help you? And I said, stay on track. The best thing we can do is deliver results. And so I think if you stay the course on a course that you know is correct, again, course correct, right, when you do these scans, but then you ultimately achieve success. You have to stay focused. It's, it's to me, paramount. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And as you do that, you said having the right, that you know you have the right plan. Right. So a lot of work goes into designing. So I think, and- you know, so you get a lot of input, right? And you come up with a plan and part of it is just your gut. Like, you know, there's certain things I just knew were the right things and you can just feel them. And I think, you know, as a leader, you're responsible for taking the pulse, right? Doing this scan intellectually, but knowing in your gut to what the right thing is and how to put it together. And I think maybe that feel shouldn't be underestimated. Mm. But once you have the plan and everybody signs off on that plan, then you have an obligation to deliver those results. So for instance, you know, we came up with a new strategic plan that went into effect January of 2016. And so I would invite your listeners if they want to take a look at it. It's a very simple one pager that says, we're going to do these five particular have these five particular objectives. And then we set out three goals under each of those. It's all on one page. And so each quarter we report on that, we monitor that, and we check them off. And of those five key objectives, we said, let's put in one bold goal under each of them so we know what our true north is. And I'm pleased to say we are close to already checking off one of them in the first five years and very close on the others. I think next year we'll check off a few more. And so now we'll recraft the plan a little bit. But I think if you set out your plan in a very simple way, your team is trained on it, they understand it, they buy into it, you'll achieve great results. Mm. That's wonderful. Well, thank you so much, Candace, for joining us today. Thank you for your impact that you continue to have and your team continues to have on our great community and the accessibility that others have coming into our great community. We're very thankful the way that you greet them as they get off their plane and walk into Cincinnati Northern Kentucky International Airport. Again, want to express our great appreciation to your leadership and the impact that you've had on me and all that I'm trying to do and all that our organization is doing in our community. Leaders like you set the pace 
And thank you for doing that. Oh, you're very kind. And I do appreciate the opportunity. Always good to talk to you and to talk about the airport. Having a high turnover in your organization doesn't just nibble away at your resources. It totally consumes them. Discover eight huge factors that directly affect your turnover rates and what you can do about them at talentmagnetinstitute.com slash turnover factors. The Talent Magnet Institute podcast is powered by Centennial, a talent strategy and executive search firm, and the Talent Magnet Institute. You can engage with us at Talent Magnet I on Twitter or Talent Magnet Institute on LinkedIn and Facebook. Please communicate by using hashtag Talent Magnet. Find us in your favorite podcast app to subscribe, rate, and leave a review, as well as share with a colleague. You can also listen at talentmagnetpodcast.com. Our podcast studio is based in greater Cincinnati, Ohio. We are supported by our listeners, clients, and partners from all over the world. The Talent Magnet Institute podcast is made possible by a great team that includes Janelle Spence and Christine Lewis of Centennial, Josh Chappelle and Adam Smith of Soundpress, Produced by Chris Madine of New Fidelity Studios and Audra Casino and Megan Doherty of One Stone Creative. Music written by DJ Corbett and Chris Madine. And myself, your host, Mike Sipple Jr. Thank you for joining us on the journey of developing leaders to succeed in relationships, work, community, and life. Reframing success in leadership.